Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of our Jewish Executive Leadership Speaker Series and The Schmooze, a new podcast powered by JGSI. My name is Maddie Demchik, and I'm so ex excited to be joined by Stephen Fradkin, founder and CEO at Antiva. So, Stephen, thank you for joining us today. We are so excited to have you. Thanks, Maddie. It's a pleasure to be here. So we're going to start a little bit. Why don't you tell us in a minute or two where you grew up and how you got to where you are today, and then we'll talk about your current role and what you do day to day. Got it. Uh, thanks, Maddie. Uh, I grew up just outside of Washington, D.C. in Rockville, Maryland. Uh, I was a lifelong student at the Charles E. Smith Jewish Day School in Rockville, um, and when I was about I don't know, 12 years old, um, my, my inner geekdom was, was uh, coming, coming through where basically I, I didn't have a very active social life at school. I was struggling a little bit in class and I found myself occasionally sneaking out of the JDS and crossing the street of East Jefferson to, at the time, uh, go to CompUSA and uh, learn about computers. And that was really where my passion was and I loved playing around with it. And, uh, you know, there's lots of stories that stem from this, including, you know, what happened when the school found out I was doing that, but we can have that discussion another day. And, and ultimately, when I was uh, maybe just about 13, it was one of the days that I was uh, over at CompUSA, and I spent the majority of my day there, and I happened to be wearing a red shirt, which was the uniform of their employees, and I was mistaken as an employee and approached by a gentleman who had asked me for help on whether he should get a desktop or a laptop. And uh, ultimately, I, I told him I didn't work there, but asked to learn a little bit more about his needs, uh, helped him pick a direction. He then made the purchase and asked me to go to his home to set it up. Uh, after some quick diligence to make sure he wasn't a child molester, I wound up going out to his home and setting it up. And uh, you know, I took the bus there, and it was, it was a, a, a wonderful experience. I, I just loved what I was doing, and I couldn't believe I could play with this cool technology. And then as I finish up, he gives me a check for 75 bucks and I made money for doing something I loved and it was like unimaginable. So I get back home to my parents' house and on their tape machine, you know, their tape-based answering machine, for those of you that remember landlines and answering machines before the voicemail, uh, was referral to other uh, residential users that needed IT support. Now, what was really lucky and fortunate about this particular set of individuals, including the person I met at CompUSA, is all of them owned businesses. And the one that I actually met first uh, was in charge of about a 15,000 person company as the CEO and founder. And, you know, there I was uh, helping out in his home. And the next thing I knew, he was referring me to other business owners. Uh, shortly after, um, when I was maybe 13, 14, uh, he asked me to, to intern at his IT department in his company. And I just jumped at the opportunity for a summer internship and wound up going in there. And uh, really, it, I had a very menial job. It was, to call, it was a, a multi-location business. And my job was to call a location who the night before didn't upload their financials into their central system to have them plug in the modem and suck the data out. It was called polling. So I'm on day one and a half making my calls, doing my job as an intern, and I get called up to the executive wing of this very large business. And it's physically separate from the rest of the business. And I walk in there, it's also a completely separate network. And these, this executive team asked me for help with their computers. 
And I'm kind of dumbfounded by this. They have a 60 person IT team. They're the most brilliant people. I barely know what I'm doing. Why are you bringing me in to do this? And they told me, hey, look, we're a family run business. We make good money. We want to feel comfortable making decisions without it being water cooler conversation. And we don't want those individuals to have visibility into what we're doing. And it was that moment where I had this like aha moment in my mind going, I don't care what you're doing or, or, or what you're doing with it. I just want to help on the technology side. And it, it kind of, it, it, it had this light bulb moment go, you know, if you outsource this to a different company that's just focused on the technology support and they're not like in there uh, from, from inside the company having this water cooler conversation, uh, we can possibly provide great value and, and cover the concerns that you have. And that was the start of Antiva. Uh, so when I was about 14, they became a client. There was more referrals. We bootstrapped it until I was, well, we bootstrapped it until 2016. But from the time I was about 14, I was doing this as custom computer creators uh, through high school, uh, went to the Smith School of Business at the University of Maryland. In 2004, I ultimately decided this was going to be the, the long-term thing that I do. Uh, changed the name from Custom Computer Creators to Antiba. Lots of reasons on, on why we did that. Uh, shorter, we wanted to define a name instead of being defined by a name. Uh, but then really from that point forward, continued to grow word of mouth and referral. Never had a sales rep until about 2015. And then in 2016, I made the decision to bring in private equity uh, capital into the business to take a couple of chips off the table for me, which we can get into why later if it's of interest, uh, but, but really fundamentally support a growth strategy that we had. So we're in a market that's very fragmented. There's more than 30,000 companies that do what we do in the U.S. alone. Back in 2015, we were maybe doing $18 million with 80 employees. I thought that was a relatively small business, but of that 30,000 uh, sample size that I just described, we were firmly in the top 500 by revenue size. So it showed how fragmented the market was. In addition to that, at that point in time, bigger and bigger companies wanted and needed what we do, but the core service that we were delivering, which was ultimately keeping technology up and running, was becoming commoditized, which was what was driving that behavior. So needless to say, I, uh, you know, at that point, I had a lot of ideas about what we could do to continue to grow this business. And, um, you know, I, I know you asked me to keep this to a minute or two, so I'm worried about elongating the story too much. Uh, but would it be of interest if I explain kind of this pivot point for growth? Like, yeah, okay. Course. Okay, so in, in 2015, like we had just bootstrapped our way, like I said, to about 18 million or 80 employees. Um, we were in the top 500 based on size of more than 30,000 companies in the U.S. alone. And the market was kind of nutty. Back in 2005, I would be lucky to convince a hundred user company to outsource their IT to us. Like it would be a whole process that you'd have to prove to them that it made sense. In 2015, we were getting inbound calls from 300, 400 person companies that were ready to just outsource IT, use the concept of managed services, focus on what they needed to focus on in the business. It was no longer trying to convince them. It was a demand for this that was out there. But as I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, part of that demand was driven by 
you know, the expectation that a lot of these folks can get more for less money. So in order to do that and do that effectively and provide good support, you've got to be bigger. And we've kind of just accidentally kept growing. And one day in 2015, like I said, we were around 80 employees. I couldn't keep my finger on the pulse of everything that was going on anymore. So what I did was I uh, elevated people into management roles that had been with me for a while. And as soon as I did that, I noticed there was a material difference to the energy inside of the company. The best way that I could describe it is before everybody was running through walls, either because they were following me running through the wall or I asked them to do it and they did it. With the managers, it wasn't bad, but people were more working that nine to five job, getting work done. And I just didn't enjoy the energy in the, in the company. And I took a, a day or two and I thought about it and I was like, what, what's going on here? Like, what, what is it? Who do we want to be? Do we want to grow? Or should we shrink to 40 employees, move to K Street in Washington, D.C. and support law firms in a three block radius, right? Like, which direction do I want to go? So I took money completely off the table and focused on what really drove me and what gave me energy. And I kept coming back to two experiences. The first would be with a, a client. So at like a local business networking event or philanthropic event, actually, I'll, I'll tell you a story since it's the, the, this is a Jewish uh, podcast here. I was, I was actually at an Israel Bonds Gala. Um, and this is one of the ones that just really felt good to me. I was at an Israel Bonds Gala. I had a name tag on that just said Steve and Tiva. Uh, I'm going up to the bar to get a drink, and I notice a name tag of someone. I don't know who they are, but they have their uh, one of our clients' um, names on their tag. So I introduce myself. I say, hi, I'm Steve uh, with Antiva. And they go, oh, oh, we know Antiva. Ever since we started using Antiva, our technology has just worked so we could focus on growing our business. And I was like, whoa. Uh, like, so I left that conversation like completely floored and things like that would happen more and more often. What would happen even more frequently is every time I sat down with a new employee, either three, and I would do this consistently, three to six months after they started, I'd have coffee or uh, uh, lunch with them. And when I would do that, nine out of 10 of them would open the same way. And it would sound something like, in the 90 to 180 days I've been here, I've learned and grown more than my prior job and or formal education. And I would leave that with so much gas in my tank that I had enough energy to work 16 hours a day, seven days a week for at least two more weeks, just on that thought of that positive impact that we could have for people and their pursuit of growth. So at the end of the day, I knew that we existed to grow people and technology was simply the accelerator of that growth. That became our company's why. I stood up to the company at the end of 2015 and said, we exist to grow people. And understanding that we ourselves as a company are going to grow so we can keep our impact sphere big. And there's a huge opportunity out there for us. There is the opportunity for us to add organic sales and marketing. Let's go ahead and invest in that, right? Because nobody knows who we are, but everybody needs what we do. So let's get ourselves out there and let's build that. Number two, let's invest in automation. The core service of keeping stuff up and running is becoming commoditized. So we need to automate as much as we can of that so we can elevate all of you, the technical talent in our company, to do that which only you could do, 
which will help you grow faster and our client grow faster. And then third, we're already seeing how fragmented this market is. At that time, we already saw MindShift all covered, a few other groups uh, doing uh, mergers. And understanding that we wanted to do this differently, and it wasn't just a financial play, and we wanted to grow people, I wanted us to be the consolidate tour, not the consolidate tip. So bottom line, got to the company with a why and what our plan was and how we were going to invest to achieve that plan. And it was the next day I could have written a business book. Everybody's running through walls again. Like I'd never seen anything like it. So, you know, fast forward into, and I'll get to your question, where are we now? 2016, October, I bring in my first capital, uh, capital raise with uh, Southfield Capital, who came in with a wonderful lower middle market private equity group. Uh, they helped bring in... Uh, access to capital for us to fund acquisitions. And they really pushed me uh, to be <laughs> a little less cheap and a little more thoughtful on where I made investments in the organization. They pushed me to hire the best. They pushed me to go out and use recruiters. They pushed me to hire positions that we didn't quite need yet, but we thought would be coming around the corner. And we did all those things. And from 2016 until January 2022, uh, they were my primary partner, and we more than uh, four times the business, both top and bottom line, uh, maybe five times at that point. And uh, then in January of last year, after running a process and me actually getting to know this person very closely, we moved to PSP Capital, which is ultimately owned by Penny Pritzker. And not only does she want to obviously get a good return on investment here, she also, at, at this point in her life, you know, money is a little bit secondary to the legacy that she wants to create. And much of that legacy is around creating meaningful jobs and opportunities inside of this country. And when I knew that that was what she was about, I knew that she, the access to capital to continue our growth was going to be there. And I knew that she could ultimately bid what would be appropriate to, uh, properly compensate my partners that, that came in and made that investment from 2016 to 2022. It was basically a done deal. Uh, we closed and we've been working with them happily for now a year and, and two months. Yeah. That's so that's where we are today. Landscape today, we're about a hundred million dollar managed IT service provider with about 500 full-time employees. Um, and that puts us, uh, you know, of, of the SMB providers, it puts us in about the top 20 of now about 22,000 MSPs in the US alone. That's a really incredible story and definitely a lot more than I was doing when I was <laughs> in middle school. Um, I wanna talk a little bit. So you spoke about your, your company's why and kind of determining what the company's why is and how that changed you know, direction for you, for your employees. So with our primary audience being graduate students and those very recently graduating from that their education, what would your advice be in determining their why as they enter a new job or a new industry for the first time? You know, it's tough. I'm, I'm not sure somebody's personal why relates to the, the job journey, right? So so my, my recommendation would first be like, if, if you know what makes you tick, what fuels you, what drives you, you know, lean into that and embrace that. And then make sure whatever employer you look to work with or business you look to start or uh, uh, really anything you choose to do uh, has value alignment with whatever your purpose is. 
if you don't know what it is, that's totally cool, right? Like, like most people never know. And, uh, you know, certainly it takes different phases of life for these things to be understood and changed. So don't be so hard on yourself. And I would say, get out there and explore, right? You guys have degrees and things that, that you obviously put time and effort into that had some meaning to you. Go out there, see what it's like to work in a corporate environment, see what it's like to work in a startup, see what it's like to start your own company if that's something you want to do. And, and when you're doing that, start to really pick up on experiences of what other people are doing and, and what is motivating you. You know, one thing that, you know, just recently I've, I've really been able to understand is the difference between time and energy, right? You can spend eight hours a day at a job that zaps your energy and you're going to have a crappy life. You're going to spend 16 hours a day at a job that gives you energy because you're tied to their purpose or you're driving and operating at your highest and best use. And that's going to, that could give you energy and you could love it and you could wish there were more hours in the day to do it. So I'm, I'm sorry if that's not a, a, a total answer, Maddie, but like, if you know it, find the right companies that, that are in alignment with it. If you don't get out there and experiment and don't be so hard on yourself. No, I think that's a really, I think that's a great, and it is different besides, you know, your company's why and your why, but I think, you know, as someone who, as a recent graduate, I think it's important to what you said, find what you like, but also take that time and space for some exploration. I think that's a really great message. Um, so something else I wanted to talk about, just kind of pulling from your story. Um, so looking back at some of those earliest stages, um, when you, you know, were still developing and still kind of meeting clients while you were you know sneaking out of school and things like that so what would you kind of point as the most your most significant success factors and you know what you would advocate to young people who are just starting their careers as far as you know networking or you know just taking opportunities that present themselves there's there's a lot there i mean so you, you threw out the word networking so so let me just start there to to, to honor that right um i'm an it geek I am an introvert. Doing things like this, even to this day, put me out of my comfort zone. But I've learned over time to do it, and I've learned to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And the more comfortable I get being uncomfortable, the more often I'm uncomfortable, and the more often I'm able to grow. And I'm all about growth. So that's kind of how I use my one and zero brain to logic my way out of my discomfort of being an introvert and got myself out there. There was never a moment, I, I you know, to this day, because I talked to thousands of MSPs and they're like, how did you grow without sales? Like, how did this happen? How did blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I, I never sold. I was just, I loved what I did. And when I, when I went to the dentist, I asked who did their IT. And when I went to the car wash, I asked who did their IT. And when I bought a car, I asked who did their IT. And most of the time they were unhappy with them. And most of the time we were able to displace them. And most of the time, these people were so happy that they referred us to more people. So get out there, network, don't be shy. You know, believe it or not, it, at the core of most people is a level of kindness where they want to help each other out. I know I do, like I want to pay it forward, right? So, so I would say that that, that concept is, is one huge one. The, the other that I would say was really important to me early on and is still important to me today. And like, what, what is my superpower? Like, I wish I could tell you I'm the most awesome IT engineer or the best at 
financial mechanics to do M&A or the best account or the best this. I'm not any of those things, right? At the end of the day, my superpower is screwing things up only once and having the courage to learn from what I screwed up and share those learnings with other people. And by doing that, we have this philosophy that, that I have in my life and that, that we, we bring throughout Antiva of making only original mistakes. In order to grow and be successful, you need to be able to fail. You know, I'm sure you guys have heard about failing forward, right? We don't want to beat up failure, but we have to learn from those failures and those same failures cannot repeat themselves. Make only original mistakes. Those are really, really great lessons that I definitely can take with me from this. So thank you for that. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and just talk a little bit more about industry and specifically, you know, what you do. So obviously with the onset of the pandemic and things, you know, becoming more automated, more technologically advanced and everything, for someone who doesn't know too much about what you do, why don't you um, tell us about some recent trends in the industry um, that have affected kind of your work and what you see, you know, as the trajectory going forward? Yeah, look, the, let, let me put a tack on the pandemic piece. We can we can talk about that if it's of interest to, to you or anyone else. But like as it sits today, I'm, I'm over the pandemic. Let's move um, <laughs> and, and and you know what? If, if this what I'm about to share didn't exist, the, the pandemic may have been the, 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 the most recent kind of evolution and exciting thing that's out there. But what you know, and I'm sure you've heard about this, but what is going on right now with artificial intelligence mm -hmm. is real. Right. So so we are actively working inside of our company. Uh, we have an entire committee that's dedicated to this to do two things. First, how do we leverage artificial intelligence to streamline processes, save time and create a better client experience inside of our company and out? And then the second is how do we have an offering that we build for our clients where we help them do the same? So this is really a big focus point, and I have not been as excited about a technology like this since solid state drives came out. By the way, uh, I'm, I'm married if all the ladies in the audience saw my comments on solid state are super interested in me. <laughs> but like all, all kidding aside, um, you know, this is one of the most exciting technologies. This is going to be something people look back on in 10 or 20 years, just like, you know, the first time the iPhone came out. This is game changing. This is like a calculator coming out on the planet. And we've already been playing around with Microsoft's Copilot. So Microsoft invested 10 billion in ChatGPT to buy about 50% of it. Uh, it's now integrated in most of their stack. And we are seeing, you know, if you remember the old Clippy, uh, which used to be the assistant inside the Microsoft Office suite, if I'm talking to recent graduates, you guys may have all been in the Google ecosystem. So I, I apologize. Uh, but what, what will now happen is you could say something like, uh, you know, draft a memo to my team covering these five points on uh, the issue we're working. And in about 12 seconds, you'll get a reasonable draft that you're then editing. So giving you an example in, in real time, uh, just last week, we, um, we, we added a, a new board member at Antiva, very excited about it, different story for a different day. Typically, our marketing person would spend about three hours drafting a press release and then sending it to me for final review, and then it would get approved and pushed out. Our marketing lead used the Copilot tool and drafted a version in 10 seconds, 
spent eight minutes editing it, sent it to me. I did a pass, she did a pass, start to finish, 22 minutes. So we went from three hours to 22 minutes and completely amazing experience and more and more of that will happen. And it's exciting, it's opportunistic, it's also a little bit scary. A lot of the, the IQ that people have gone out and, and earned by bringing in knowledge and, and knowing what to do with that knowledge is going to be less important in the future than your emotional intelligence. Because at the end of the day, anybody is going to be able to grab that knowledge. Over time, it's gonna become more and more accurate. But it's gonna be even longer before computers can judge tone and facial expressions and body language and have empathy for what, what's going on in another person's life or even think to ask those things. So yeah, I'm totally excited about this. It's a, it's, a, it's a game changer that's out there. It's gonna fundamentally change my business and all of the clients that we serve. Yeah, I definitely, you know, being in school, thinking back about chat DBT, that would have been super helpful or super hurtful either way. But now we're gonna, you know, switch switch your gears again, kind of away from career and look kind of at just this question. We ask all of our speakers, answer it however you feel comfortable. But we just would like you to speak a little bit about what does being Jewish mean to you, either in industry or in your life or however. I wish you didn't have to preface that with answer it however I like uh, so that you're comfortable. And that's really the core of my connection to Judaism. So taking a step back, and I'll explain that, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with my grandmother uh, in, in my early years. She was a survivor. Uh, my, my parents were out, you know, working, and I was mostly uh, raised by her. And she lost her entire family in the Holocaust. And with that, she had very little dogmatic belief in Judaism. But the connection to the people and the need for the nation to exist in the future was critical to her. And having experienced all that, I can't even say I experienced it, right? I experienced it through what was shared with me over many years that I had to, have in some cases, pull out of her. And, you know, I knew from early on that Judaism was going to be a critical part of my life, right? Now, unfortunately, um, and, and maybe at some point, the spirituality will increase for me. You know, it's there, but it's not high. But what is high is identifying as Jewish and making sure that I have Jewish children. And my personal goal, so like, you know, we talk about growing people, that, that, is, the, that is the business. That is also one of my personal goals. Another one is making sure there's a future generation of Jews who are proud to identify Jewishly. So that's why I was a little critical of your opener there, Maddie. And, but I understand why you did it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, all those times there's something on LinkedIn that comes up that references Judaism, like, and I like it. And then I unlike it. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Right? Like, like I need to stand strong on this, right? Does it create risk? Does it open me up to something? Sure. Maybe it does, but there's a lot of really good stuff that we do and that I'm proud of. And I have to lead by example, and I can't expect others to do that if I don't step up and, and be proud to identify Jewishly. And I am, and I will be, and I intend to raise my kids that way, and I hope they will take that on themselves. I can't force it. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I take pride in this, and it, it's something that, that I will not uh, ever hide. I like that. I think that's, that's you're right, and it's really important, and I agree with you wholeheartedly there. 
Um, so one last kind of section and then we'll call it a day, but we're gonna do this part's fun. It's our rapid fire round. I'm gonna do a quick question. You do give me one one or two word answers. First thing uh, how, those, those last ones weren't rapid fire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, yeah. Let me look at my list and pick a good one. Okay. First, your favorite TV series that you've watched recently. TV? What's TV? Uh, <laughs> I think it is called Shrinking on Apple TV. Um, and I had watched a little bit of that. I found it super humorous. <laughs> um, okay, next one. Favorite place to vacation, either that you have vacationed or you want to. Either way. So I've worked 16 hours a day, seven days a week since I was about 16 years old. I have five, I have five children. Um, eight years is the oldest one. Okay. So maybe where you want to <laughs> So I've always dreamed of going to Bora Bora because mm. uh, I've always seen those little uh, tents that would go over the water. Mm -hmm. uh, but but I've yet to have the pleasure to do that. I've had the privilege to go to Israel many times and that's fantastic. It is, it is uh, a second home to me. Um, but, you know, as it sits right now, to me, my favorite vacation would be being bored at home. <laughs> I love it. Um, most used app on your phone? Probably the mail app. Uh, I'm a compulsive manage email down to zero kind of person. Uh, so the mail app is used most. And right behind that, I'm also a compulsive data junkie. So the health apps, the, the fitness Apple stuff, like I track everything. I mean, I, I even, I, I even track my cycle and I have no cycle. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your favorite Jewish holiday? Uh, I'd say it's, it's Pesach, um, I, which is coming up very soon. I, I, I have lots of favorite Jewish holidays, but, but my, my short answer is Pesach and, uh, it just, it's a time of spring and change and newness and family. And I just have memories of, uh, of it, it, it being a break and a, a time where family came together. Amazing. And finally, what is one word that you associate with being Jewish? Right. It's a great, great way to end it. Well, Stephen, thank you again for coming on and talking with us about your incredible background and story and what you do now. Um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you.